Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. My name is Mike Perry. I am one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with Brett Jones. Brett, how you doing today, buddy? Fabulous. Just uh, moving, you know, moving forward, blocking and tackling, as a friend of mine says. There you go. There you go. Well, guys, today we're going to be talking about um, self self massage, soft tissue work, and sort of the do's and the don'ts. Um, when this can be a useful tool and, and when people are overdoing it. And we're just going to dig um, a little bit deeper into that soft tissue talk and give you some insight on how strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, and even clinicians can, can use that as a tool to help their athletes move better, feel better, and perform better. So um, I'm going to start off with a little story. Um, the first time I ever used a foam roller was the first time I uh, had a, a significant injury when I was in high school. I was probably 17, 18 years old. I was running. I cut hard, completely blew my ankle out, um, tore the ligaments, uh, probably should have had surgery, but I did not. Um, and it, it was pretty bad. You know, it, it was the size of a grapefruit once, uh, once the swelling started. And I remember uh, going to a PT clinic and, you know, just, they did my basic, you know, stim work and ice and contrast work. And that was fine. But then they said, I, Hey, I want you to use this little foam roller, um, to, you know, do some self massage on your calves, et cetera. So, and at this point, this thing did not look like a foam roller. Originally it looked like a white foam roller that had some sort of cylinder type shape, but this was slightly yellow orange and it was dipped in the middle. And it looked like it had been used and sweat on by about 9,000 other people before that. But it was one of those things that I didn't even know what it, what it did. I just started rolling my calf out and doing some other things with it. And I just felt a little bit better. That was literally my introduction to, to foam rolling and soft tissue work. I, I had never really seen it before. And really at that point, um, it, it wasn't a popular tool in the strength and conditioning world, as far as I know. Now that was when I was 18. So that was before, but I had never seen it at any of the gyms and, and the few PT clinics that were around, I did see it. So Brett, what's your experience with, uh, with the good old foam roller? Uh, well, uh, they've been around for a while, as, as you noted, um, I've been using them myself and with my, my students, my clients for, uh, quite some time. And, you know, it's been one of those things that's, that's, um, it, it was initially, like you said, it was the white, um, low density roller, um, that would compress pretty quickly. You know, you'd have to order a new one before too long. Um, and then of course, as you know, people started getting tired of purchasing a new one, uh, quickly because it got compressed and, you know, didn't give you the same sort of, uh, feeling and uh, results. Uh, they started making higher density, uh, foam rollers. And uh, that kind of touched off uh, a race to create the most painful uh, foam roller possible. 
Um, and you know, some people succeeded. Um, I, I have a rumble roller, uh, over here, uh, at the corner and there's some different densities on that and you can get on something that's pretty, pretty stiff. And some people got tired of purchasing new soft white foam rollers. So they started using PVC pipe. And, uh, if they were being kind, they'd put a little bit of foam around it. Um, but now there's some really good foam rollers, uh, that use that concept of the solid kind of PVC, uh, plastic core with different densities of foam over top of it. So it's, it, so it started off kind of at a low rumble. It got super popular where everybody's foam rolling everything. Then it was kind of panned and, and talked against, uh, something that you didn't need to do. And now it's kind of back to being fairly popular. Um, I've used it pretty consistently over the years to, to great results, but I do think, and you know, kind of the, the things that we want to get into today, what, what is it actually, and what is it not? And maybe yeah. it's most effective to start with, uh, what is foam rolling not? And then we can talk more globally about, uh, you know, so self-applied soft tissue techniques and the difference of working with a, a skilled practitioner, uh, massage therapist or clinician that has a good background in, um, in soft tissue work. So what is foam rolling not? It is not self-myofascial release. Oh, I know the gasps. <laughs> even even I heard that. the gasps. How dare you? Um, you know, good fascial work is about stabilizing one area and moving through to another area. Um, it usually involves the skilled hands of a clinician. Uh, there are some products out there that do allow you to pin one area and then move uh, the uh, involved area so that you are accomplishing a different type of soft tissue work and, and potentially influencing the fascial system just a little bit more. But let's be honest, when you get on a foam roller, it's just a blunt object. It's just this thing that's compressing tissue. So it's a cheap, not all that quality or not all that high quality massage. You're squishing tissue in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. no, help, I'm in a nutshell. Um, so that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've, and if, if if people can see the hand motions, it makes it that much better. Help, I'm in a nutshell. Um, sorry, uh, Austin Powers flashback. Uh, so the that's that's probably one of the biggest things that people you know will run towards a foam roller. They they'll call it self myofascial release, and it's really not. Um, it's it's a cheap massage. It's squishing tissue, and what it is, however, is highly proprioceptive. So as you're compressing that tissue and, you, and you're, you're, you're squishing tissue, you're also firing off a bunch of different neurological um, um, aspects of you know, mechanoreceptors, um, uh, mechanoreceptors, baroreceptors. Uh, you're influencing and creating some responses uh, just from that skin contact. Uh, took a course recently and they referred to skin intelligence, uh, that the skin being the largest sensory organ that we, that we have, uh, stimulating the skin has really, uh, it can really light up, uh, certain areas of the brain and, and, and really feed back a lot of, uh, information. So there, there, it is highly neurological. It is highly proprioceptive. 
And that's also uh, the, the second thing, in my opinion, that foam rolling isn't, is it is not a pain tolerance experiment. And too many people treat it like that. Too many people treat it as, uh, you know, it's the foam roll is not effective if it doesn't, uh, or the soft, soft tissue work is not effective if it isn't just painful as can be. And um, it's, it's, that's just not true. You can actually get really good results with a foam roller and self-applied uh, soft tissue techniques uh, when it's just enough pressure. So the idea is use enough pressure to where you find the hot spots, not so much that you can't take it. Because if you really get a good painful response going, you're going to contract that area. You're going to brace against the foam roll. And now you're not accomplishing anything. Because if the piece or part that you're trying to roll is not completely relaxed, you're not doing what you think you're doing. Yeah. And, and I've had this experience a lot with people where I get them foam rolling their quads and they're like, I foam roll my quads all the time and they're, they don't hurt at all. I'm like, okay, well, show me how you're doing it. Okay. Now, relax. Let that leg be dead. Oh my God. I didn't know that was there. Exactly. Because if you brace up against it, you're not going to accomplish much of anything. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, 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 you know, if you actually get a massage therapist that knows what they're doing and they're working on you and you start to tense up, they're not going to say, Hey, um, could you tense that muscle harder? I think we're going to get better <laughs> results and feedback. They always say, relax. And that's something right there, Brett, that I think a lot of people do is they're so aggressive with their soft tissue work and they start to hold their breath and they start to, to tighten those muscles and increase tension, which, um, it's going to actually limit blood flow. <laughs> and, um, that's something that we don't want. We actually want to use foam rolling to improve blood flow. And, uh, if you are tightening those muscles and, and holding your breath, it's occlusion, it's a type of occlusion and it's just simply not going to work. So, um, having the ability to relax, it, it is, it's that middle ground where it's going to be slightly uncomfortable. And if you see yourself, you know, holding your breath, tightening up your face, turning different colors, um, you're probably not going to have a positive response to the tissue work. hundred percent. And I, I think that, uh, the, the idea that it's not a pain tolerance experiment is important. Um, and if you use the right amount of pressure, and, and I just refer to them as hot spots, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the foam roller in particular is nowhere, nowhere near precise enough tool to think that you're doing anything related to a trigger point work or anything like that. But you will find hot spots. You will find areas that feel different than the other areas that you were rolling. And um, that, that comes down to using the appropriate amount of pressure. And I, I believe that you should start at very low amounts of pressure and add pressure only if needed. Mm -hmm. Too many people start with, they're, they're going to max it out. They're going to take as much pressure, uh, use the hardest foam roll that they can, uh, and, and they're going to max it out. I, I just think that, you know, that's analogous at, as to shouting at the body when maybe a whisper would do it. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of starting at that uh -huh, minimum, minimum effective, effective dose. dose. <laughs> I saw that. That was, that was, that was an underhand softball beer league pitch right there, man. Uh, I had to on that one. Um, it was, it was a softball. It, it really, it really was. Um, yeah. It, 
it's one of those things where I still think, you know, people, people often over-exaggerate what it can do and then, or they just discard the fact that it can't do anything. And, and I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? I, I think I know exactly why I use it when I use it. Um, I used to use it a lot more, but when I wasn't training like an absolute moron, I had, you know, I didn't really have to use it as much. Who knew? Um, but, you know, another thing I want to talk about quickly is, you know, you mentioned it's not myofascial release. And, and to add on to that, you cannot break up scar tissue. Um, you just cannot. That's, you know, that can be done by an orthopedic surgeon, um, but you're not going to break up scar tissue with a foam roller you got from Dick Sporting goes up the road. It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and I would say as far as claims go, um, there's a lot of crazy claims out there, but I would say the most common ones are that it's myofascial release and it can help break up scar tissue. And it's simply, it's simply not true. And granted, those are, it's great for sales and marketing, but um, it's just simply, it's simply not going to, it's not going to move the needle on that stuff, but um, we can talk about what it can do. And, and uh, I've, I've done a lot of reading on this. I, I was going to say research, but I don't like to say that I've done research because it's just Google and PubMed and stuff like that. So that's not actually research, by the way, people researching is not Googling, just throwing it out there. Um, but there is, and I believe it's actually under strength and conditioning research and those guys that do a really, really good job. And I remember reading, you know, one of their, uh, one of their articles that they put out and really what it came down to is that the foam roller is, is good for really two things. One, it does improve blood flow and there is a temporary improvement in flexibility and or mobility. Um, and those are the two things that they know for sure that, that it can help with, but you can't, that's only one piece of the puzzle. If you're trying to improve someone's movement, right? You just can't all of a sudden foam roll someone's hips and they can do a split. It simply does not work like that. But I tell you what, some light movement on an area that's a little bit tight or a little bit tender, you know, getting some extra blood flow there followed by some actually good programming. It can be a, a vital part of your programming on uh, finding ways to, to move better and feel a little bit better. And, um, it's, it's an important thing to understand how to use it, but also know when to use it and how to use it. And also when to say, listen, this is, this is too much. Like if you're doing a two hour foam rolling session and you think you're still making change, you're, you're probably wasting some time. So, um, but you know, what's the cool thing about it is, you know, technology and everything else that's out there. There's so many different tools out there that are awesome. They do a really good job. Yes, we have the regular, you know, cylindrical foam rollers and we've got variations of those. I mean, we've got the regular kind of foam rollers and even those come in different density. You've got the rumble rollers, trigger point um, and all the other brands that are out there. But now they've got a bunch of different tools. Um, you know, at first it was basically a lacrosse ball and an old foam roller, right? And so yep. you basically had this really soft and spongy white foam roller and this hard, dense, concrete like sphere that just pulverized anything that you you worked on and then eventually there there came all of these different massage balls and duo balls and i remember back in the day people would take um two racquetballs tape them together and that made that little peanut so they could do some segmental work along the spine and uh and then you've got a lot of other companies coming out with um you know mobility wad came out with several different types of devices some were circles some were that peanut type shape um, all different shapes, all different textures. Uh, there's companies like AccuMobility and Mobile that are making great products. Uh, Black Roll has some good stuff. But guys, there's so many tools out there, and they're all they're all pretty good stuff. But it's 
it's how you approach it that's going to make the difference. And uh, here's the analogy that I use when it comes to trying to move a little bit better. Um, when I explain soft tissue work and foam rolling to my clients, I, I use the analogy of painting a room. If you're going to paint a room, you're going to want to use a large roller to hit those big areas. Those big areas, you can cover a lot of ground and it's, it's pretty easy to get. But if you're doing the trim work, those little corners and those little crevices, those areas that are harder to reach, it's not going to work with a foam roller. And then you can use some of those other small tools to, to get into those areas that are just hard to reach. And that's really how I teach people how to use it. I give them a foam roller, give them the basics, you know, the calves, the quads, upper back, lats. And then if there's any other areas that we need to focus on, like, you know, pec minor or TFL or some of those areas that are just a little bit harder to get, you can use some of those smaller products to um, just get a little bit more detailed. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, to break it down, like if I'm working with a, a new person, somebody who's either just beginning to work with me or maybe they're just beginning to exercise. Um, I, I remember working with my uh, uh, pastor uh, years, f few years ago. Um, he was having back pain and, and uh, you know, just gave him some soft tissue work and told him to drink more water. And uh, lo and behold, he got back to doing everything that he wanted to be doing. Um, so sometimes it's the simple stuff. And, you can't, and no way, Brent, gonna, that, that can't happen. There's no way that hydration, there's no way that worked. <laughs> there's no way. There had to be something else, <laughs> but th that's the problem is people will hear that advice and be like, no, you, you just foam rolled and drank more. And you feel, yeah, sometimes the littlest changes and the simplest changes are the most effective ones. And, and that's for anything training related, not just, um, you know, Brett's client scenario. So if I'm working with that new person, one of the reasons that I like getting somebody started with a, with a foam roller uh, actually has very little to do with soft tissue work. It's actually entry-level body weight strength training. Mm -hmm. You give me somebody who's not used to exercising and somebody who just, you know, they haven't rolled around on the ground and just move their body in years. Foam rolling is a great way to get somebody on the ground, rolling around, controlling their body and learning, relearning what it's like to do some of those most basic and uh, dare I say primitive uh, sort of uh, movements and patterns. And so I like getting people foam rolling right off the bat, just for that reason. Um, and then it's all that proprioceptive information that I was talking about. Um, there is something called sensory motor amnesia where um, can't feel it, can't move it, and you forgot about it. It's <laughs> to, to break down uh, SMA. Uh, foam rolling starts addressing some of that SMA because now that, that piece or part can't hide. You're, you're rolling it. You're stimulating it. There's a lot of proprioceptive information that's coming up into the brain. So before I even get to the idea of tissue quality mm. and finding the hot spots and, and maybe what I like to tell people is by the time we're talking about getting to those hot spots and, and why we foam roll a little bit, uh, do you all remember the Etch-a-Sketch? So if you're young and you don't remember what an Etch-a-Sketch is, there's like 200 different Etch-a-Sketch apps that you can download to your phone. So basically Etch-a-Sketch was a bunch of metal filings and some magnets. And so you would draw these pictures using these little knobs. And if you didn't like the picture, you shook it, all the metal filings would fall down and you started drawing again. That's self-applied soft tissue work in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I'm in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> all right. So guys, that'll be the Sorry. end of today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, but it, it really is kind of that simplistic of an, of an explanation. Um, there's a current pattern. We're going to shake the etch a sketch and that's going to give us a time frame, a window where we can start putting in a new, uh, a new pattern, draw a new picture uh, with less effort. If I'm trying to rewrite the picture while it's still there, that gets messy. But if I have that opportunity to shake the etch a sketch and draw the new picture, I'm way more efficient in what I want to get done. So for me, for a new person, I'm looking at it from that entry-level body weight strength training, that increased proprioceptive information. Then we're talking about the opportunity to shake the etch sketch and, and have an easier time putting new patterns in. Mm. And then we'll talk about tissue quality uh, because let's be honest, rolling around on the foam roller, guess what? It shouldn't hurt. So in the end, as that person progresses, and initially they find all of these hot spots and like foam rolling is really intense. That should go away. That should. And now like for myself, foam rolling is just a check-in with my body takes maybe three minutes. I, I roll around and hit some, some general areas. And especially since I sit so much for work, I'll hit quads and, and anterior chain uh, sort of area a little bit more, but I just check in yeah. and there's, there's days after I've done a bunch of pull-ups or something where foam rolling the armpits is a little more exciting uh, yep. than, it, than it was the day before without pull-ups. Uh, but, you know, it's just a check-in. And that check-in tells me, okay, yep, quads are a little hot today. So I need a little extra prep for that in my movement prep. And so there's this kind of continuum that I go on from getting somebody started with their foam rolling and the reasons that I'm doing it and then how I'm applying it with a more experienced uh, person. Absolutely. So two things I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper on is you had mentioned shaking the edge of sketch. Um, and really what that's doing is when you are, when you're using a foam roller, a lot of the times people will use it as a way to help improve someone's mobility, right? There's an area that's, you know, hypertonic and we want to we want to basically get down, regulate that a little bit and try to make a change. So really what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a short-term adaptation. And if we know that we can make a positive short-term adaptation, I'm not saying that's going to immediately turn into a long-term adaptation, but if you can show someone that you can make a viable change and a measurable change within a training session, um, and it's going to make them feel a little bit better, but also it's going to improve their mobility. That is the key right there because that that will tell you that you're heading down the right direction, but it also creates some buy-in with your clients because let's say you were doing, you know, trying to improve their overhead position and shoulder flexion and you do some, you know, some foam rolling on their, their upper back. Maybe you hit their lats a little bit. Maybe you do some extensions with some breathing, a little bit of T-spine work. And all of a sudden their, their shoulder mobility, their glenohumeral mobility improves and they feel a little bit better. Um, they're more apt to do it because they've actually seen success and if they feel a little bit better as well, that's just going to reinforce that, hey, man, maybe I can make some changes and maybe trying to get my, my arm overhead is not that far off. So, um, but it's that, it's that ability to see that short-term adaptation. And then you do have to back it up with a bunch of other things. And maybe we can talk about that on another podcast, but that's a nice way to um, immediately see where things are at. But here's another thing too. If you are trying to use foam rolling as a modality to improve 
let's say range of motion, um, you have to check, you have to set your baseline, you have to do your corrective, whatever you, whatever that is, maybe it's only breathing in soft tissue, but make sure that whenever you apply some sort of strategy to, to improve someone's movement, check it. Because if you don't check it, you may not know if you're actually making a viable change, or if you give them 37 drills, how the hell do you know which one made a difference? And how do you know that maybe a dozen of them weren't rubbish? So if you are going to do a little bit of soft tissue, do whatever drills you want, and then just check a pattern or whatever you're trying to improve and see if it's making a difference. And if it does, cool, keep chasing that. But if it doesn't, maybe you were too aggressive with your soft tissue work. Maybe jamming that lacrosse ball in someone's pec was not comfortable, right? And maybe that actually created a negative uh, response and maybe they don't won't like it. Some people will do foam rolling and they're going to be like, I hate it. It freaking hurts and I won't do it. Well, guess what? If that person, every experience they've had is negative and it's painful, you think they're going to be like, yeah, I can't wait to hop on the foam roller. It's just not going to work. So that's my kind of two cents on that. And then you had mentioned body weight strength training. And it's funny because I have worked with several different individuals. And um, if you are new to foam rolling and, and let's say you are a larger individual, um, you know, let's say you're rolling your glutes out, you're rolling your, your right, right, you know, glute medius out or right glute maximus. So you're going to sit on the foam roller. Your right hip is on the foam roller. You externally rotate, take the heel, put it on the knee. But most people, what they'll do is they'll put their, they'll put their arm on the ground, right. To stabilize. Well, guess what? That's shoulder extension right there. And you can get some scapular stability in that position as well. Very similar to a get up. So I love the fact that you brought that up because a lot of people forget about that. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people foam roll their posterior chain and be like, my shoulders are smoked. <laughs> it's yeah. because they have never, you know, stabilized in that position, or maybe they have never even trained that position. And, and to be honest, shoulder extension, isn't something that people even experienced coaches look into a lot. It's a, it's a very important movement. Everybody's everybody's loving the overhead mobility work, but shoulder extension is, is super important as far as function goes. Um, and same thing, if someone's, you know, foam rolling one quad or two quads at the, uh, at the same time, they're going to be either using their elbows to help them move back and forth, or maybe their arms. Well, guess what? You've got some shoulder stability there in a very, in a different plane as well. So I love the fact that you brought up the, the body weight component, because yes, I've seen people get a freaking workout from, you know, from foam, roll, from, from foam rolling, but listen, don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying start someone off with a workout on the foam roller. We're not saying that. We're just saying that it is a byproduct for some people. It does actually have a training effect. 100%, 100%. And I, I think that, uh, that sort of, uh, so I was about what, four, four reasons down the road before I got to soft tissue. Yeah. Uh, on uh, why I use a foam roller. Um, and, and I, I want to kind of kind of shift the conversation slightly uh, towards recovery strategies because uh, the foam roll can certainly be part of a recovery strategy. Um, it can be a, a, a non-training day, uh, great thing to do to roll around for a few minutes and go through some mobility drills and just kind of, it's like we should move uh, pretty near Stop. every day. Stop that. Um, Stop that right now. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. Um, but, you know, the, the idea and the reason this ties into foam rolling is if you have to foam roll for 30 minutes uh, and, and go through uh, opening up five different areas before you can train, uh, or you need to foam roll and 
implement five different recovery strategies, you know, after your training, before you're ready for your next training session, maybe your programming's off just as a, just as a shot in the dark, uh, that maybe, uh, you have a movement issue that's still on the table. You've got, you've got stiff ankles and you're trying to figure out why you got to do stuff to make your knees feel better all the time. Uh, maybe you've got that stiff T-spine and you're trying to figure out why your shoulders are grumpy. Um, you know, so there could be a movement issue on board and more often than not, you're just doing too much. Uh, you might be doing things, uh, where you're pushing into failure and you're pushing into, uh, you know, having those workouts where you get crushed. I want to get crushed during my workout. Something I've never said, by the way. Um, and you're pushing into the point where compensation start to kick in. You know, you're loading the tissues and the body in a way that's causing some sort of compensations and, and, and small traumas that your body has to constantly deal with. Uh, or you're just doing too much. Your volume is just way too high. And, you know, runners will be good for this, you know, where, you know, um, I, I was okay while I was training for the 5k, but then I decided that I was going to go run a 10k and I kicked up my mileage and all of a sudden, you know, problem X popped up. So, uh, and, and I was asked that years ago, what my favorite recovery strategy was. And I know they were looking for, you know, sauna or the air pumps for the legs or, you know, whatever. And, and my answer was programming. Yeah. If you have programmed yourself appropriately, you should recover. What would happen with your MMA guys? If you were crushing them every workout and they couldn't recover between sessions. Like they would, you wouldn't be working. You they wouldn't, wouldn't be, be working. Well. I wouldn't be training some of the best guys in New England. That's for sure. Um, exactly. Yeah, no. And uh, so, it's funny. Funny you said that. I, that reminds me of a conversation I had yesterday. But I want you to finish this. Oh, I have no. I, I'm done. I, I have no. Point. <laughs> I'm done. I, I often I, um, have no point. <laughs> I, I was talking to a couple of my fighters, and there's been two or three fighters that, um, you know we, we have a limited amount of time to try to put muscle on these guys and gals. If that is something that they need, if they're, let's say smaller for their weight class. Um, but a lot of the times I say to them, Hey, listen, if your goal is to put on, you know, five pounds of muscle, we're going to need eight weeks of dedicated strength and conditioning Well, strength training, primarily strength training. I need you guys here three days a week, you know, plan on an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. But I'm going to tell you right now, this since this is a priority and we've decided as a team that this is what you need, you're going to be sore. You're because we're going to have to throw some volume at you. It's going to be smart. But um, if you want to put on muscle, uh, you got to train a certain way and you've got to eat a certain way. So I tell them, hey, listen, yes, you can still do your, your other modalities. But at the same time, just remember that, you know, our goal right now is to put on as much muscle as possible. And uh, there's a way to do that. But it's going to be really hard to put on as much muscle as possible and do triple sessions. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, but, and, and it goes back to the re the recovery talk, right? Um, for them, a lot of them will have a lot of delayed onset muscle soreness. And if I can teach them and educate them on how they can manage their own body, because everybody responds differently. And, and like you said, a lot of it has to do with programs, but some people are going to need a little bit more tissue work than others, but it's about the educational part, right? If you can really teach someone and give them the skill set so they can self-manage a lot of those achy areas, that is huge because um, they are going to be proactive about that and it's going to make your life easier as well. So I, I also just use 
that process is educational to teach them how to take care of themselves because as they get older in life, hopefully they're going to be exercising for their, for the rest of their lives. And, you know, maybe they wake up one morning and they're not feeling so hot and they can say, you know what, my hips are a little tight. I'm going to just hop on the roller and, and, you know, do some of the stuff that I've been, you know, I've been told and just go from there. And so it's, it's definitely an educational process as well. hundred percent. And, and I, I do believe in self-management and I, I do believe that, uh, one of the things that we come out of our educational processes, uh, knowing very little about is how to manage our body. And, and fitness should be one of the ways that we learn to manage our body. Uh, I think, and I'm, I'm, I have a new drum that I am going to beat uh, for the next few years, and that is uh, health and fitness, and that fitness is part of health. Um, and the reason gyms and things like that were not considered essential during pandemic times is we equate uh, fitness with aesthetics. We equate fitness with how you look in, in most people's minds. The only reason you exercise is to look a certain way. And we have to divorce from that. Mm -hmm. We have to get to the point where we're recognizing that fitness and everything that we're talking about over, over the, over the time with this podcast and so many other podcasts and people that are out there, um, we have to recognize that we do this for health reasons first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting injured from your training, if you're getting sick from your training, if you're overloading your body and having to look into 10 different recovery strategies, you're, you've forgotten that the idea of fitness is health and that health is part of fitness. The, the two are, are, are linked, strongly, strongly linked. Uh, we know that being fit um, helps with a lot of different issues. You know, there's, there's different studies out now that talk about the importance of um, that grip strength can be a proxy uh, for all cause mortality. Uh, those people that have better grip strength tend to have lower, um, better uh, results as far as, uh, you know, longevity and, and uh, living independently, things of that nature. It's, it's not cause they're sitting there squeezing grippers. It's because their lifestyle has led them to activities and usually fitness related that keep them strong and grip strength being a proxy of, of overall strength. And so the getting to the point where just part of a healthy lifestyle is fitness and fitness is part of a healthy lifestyle and divorcing from this aesthetics conversation will move us forward as a profession because now we are essential. And I, and I know that that's another left turn and I, my life is pretty much a series of left turns, um, <laughs> but it's yeah, kind of like NASCAR. Um, but um, you know, it's uh, I think that's important. And, and I think that uh, because I do think you should be able to self-manage, I, I think that um, you know, the, we just come out with very little information on that, but that doesn't replace the skilled hands of a massage therapist. My wife's been an LMT for 20 plus years um, and is just a fantastic uh, massage therapist. And, and what she can accomplish is so far beyond what a foam roller can do. Um, and, you know, so self-management is important. Having professionals that you can trust and work with is also important. And that can save you six months of frustration, two to three visits can save you months of frustration trying to handle something on your own. Um, that was kind of a rambling thing where I took on about three different topics, but uh, 
That we put well done. I, I just I love the NASCAR <laughs> reference. So I mean I'm just I'm just going with that. Gonna go fast, Bobby. Great, great movie. Great movie. I actually had my kids watch that the other day, but I forgot there was some areas uh, of the movie that maybe they shouldn't have seen. But whatever. It's all it's all part of uh it's all part of uh you know just learning to be a dad. <laughs> or just damn it, Ricky Bobby. Or being irresponsible, one or the other. <laughs> um, the combo, the combo. It's a, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Hey, hey, listen, could be worse. There's worse things than Ricky Bobby to show your children. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Like early exposure to The Exorcist for uh, for a friend of mine. Um, but uh, yeah, that that that'll traumatize you. Um, but I, I think that uh, you know to kind of bring things back together. I think that uh, soft tissue work, self-applied soft tissue work, whether it's foam roll, lacrosse ball, mobo, uh, you know, all, all the different things that we've talked about um, can be a very important piece of the puzzle. And, and I'll just highlight again, since I sit on a computer for many hours out of a day and then try to go exercise, checking in on my anterior chain, making sure my hips aren't tight. I just know that that's something that my, my body will choose to stiffen that area up in a, in a hot minute. I got to do a little bit to unwind that. Um, that's just the, the, the realities of the modern world and, and the, the way that I work um, with, my, with my clients and students. It's that entry-level strength training. It's that proprioceptive input. It's shaking the etch-a-sketch. It's that good check-in with the body. Um, you know, and, and so has a great place in, in my programming and, and in my work with people, but it's kept in its place. Uh, I, I don't think that it's uh, all that a bag of chips. Absolutely. So, you know, and I, I think we'll sort of, we can, you know, finish up talking about, hey, what does this look like in a training session, right? And, and we talked about shoulder mobility um, earlier. So, you know, I'm going to share my thoughts on kind of how I would approach using a foam roller and improving someone's, let's just say shoulder flexion, just because that's the one that everybody sort of looks at. Um, so a lot of the times I'll start off with some, you know, a little bit of breathing, whether it's in that supine or 90-90. But when I'm teaching someone to breathe and they're going through that nice diaphragmatic, I like to teach nasal breathing that works really, really well. I want them to maintain that same breathing as they introduce soft tissue work, because if they can create awareness in an environment, that's not, um, I don't want to say pain provoking, but yes, listen, when you're hopping on a foam roller and you hit one of those hot spots, it's going to get your attention. So really using breathing as a metric to see how, how everything's going from a soft tissue standpoint, if you can find that you're rolling an area out, you don't feel a whole hell of a lot and you notice that nothing's changed in your breathing. Well, I guess you could probably move on. I'm not saying you should have to skip it, but maybe you just don't need to work there. But as you start to work on those areas that need a little bit of extra attention, pay attention to your breathing and then pay attention to also the pressure and the techniques that you're using. So, you know, if you, you know, do some work on, for example, Brett said pull-ups earlier, man, well, yeah, you do some pull-ups and you start to foam roll that lat, um, it's, it's going to get spicy. So maybe all you have to do is just do a little bit of breathing, you know, maybe just find a hot spot and just breathe there, hit both sides and then boom, move on to something else or move on to another, another position, et cetera. Maybe it's the upper back, maybe it's the mid back. And then from there, once you do your soft tissue, that's when you can actually do some dedicated mobility work, like doing some various uh, T-spine drills, whether it's, uh, you know, a sideline rib pull or a bretzel, 
great, great exercise. Um, whatever exercise that you feel is going to be appropriate for that individual, definitely hitting the T-spine and then maybe doing some, uh, you know, mobilization drills or stability drills with the scap. And then lastly, addressing the glenohumeral joint, going through that sequence is going to be a nice way to start to improve someone's movement. And then in your programming, you find an intelligent way that you can load that movement that's going to help hit save on the document. And that's really how I approach soft tissue work in a nutshell. Oh, I'm in a nutshell. <laughs> um, I want to key on one thing that you, you mentioned there. Um, and, and just, just in a little more direct fashion, uh, there will be a mindset when people begin doing self-applied soft tissue work that they need to stay on one of those hot spots uh, until it's gone. So they will yeah, kind of that. take, yeah, good, good, good luck. Uh, they take on this kind of search and destroy sort of uh, mindset where they're going to go, they find that hot spot and they're just going to crush it. They're just going to keep rolling it and keep putting pressure on it until it quote goes away. And usually in that case, all you're going to do is facilitate that, that, that area is going to get more and more angry. And when you've got an angry animal in a cage, if you keep poking it with a stick, it's not going to calm down. Uh, it's probably going to get more and more angry. So um, find the hot spot, give it five or six, maybe upwards of 10 little rolls on that area and then get away from it. Yeah. Let your body handle it. You've yeah. in firing it off, you've brought it to the neurological system's attention. Uh, it will usually create some sort of change. And I, I will always choose starting there versus the search and destroy method. Um, and that's, that's, uh, you know, some, my directions with people, uh, when they're foam rolling is, uh, five or six rolls on each area. Yeah. If, if you haven't found what you need to within five or six rolls, there's nothing really there to find. You should move along. And so foam rolling is a three to five minute exploration. If you find a hot spot, give it maybe 10 little extra rolls to get away from it. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, keeping it, um, keeping it in that place is, is, uh, can, can really make a difference. Yeah. And if you've ever had that knot between, you know, between your shoulder blades and your rhomboid, um, you know, that that thing doesn't, it doesn't just go away. It can be, it can take a while. And I've done it. I've done exactly what you said. I've, you know, given myself a hug and got those scaps apart into protraction and hammered with a lacrosse ball that basically changed my breathing. And all it did, was, all it did was feel worse. Um, but when I, when I did what you said, I just hit it a little bit and then went into, you know, some T-spine and some scapular base movement. Um, it did, it did tend to dissipate a little bit quicker. So I think you're right. It's, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, if you have a pimple, if you pick at it too much, it's going to get worse. Right. So you have to be really, really smart about how much attention you give to that. But there's one other thing that I thought about when, uh, when you were having that, uh, part of the talk, Brett is, you know, if you have an immediate injury, let's say that you roll your ankle and your ankle blows up, that is not the time to start foam rolling that area. It is not a good tool at all for someone that has an acute type of injury. Okay. So if you blow your ankle out and it's hanging on by threads and you can't even walk, don't start foam rolling your ankle and your calves, right? Listen, it's supposed to be tight right now because that is your body's neurological response to say, Hey, dipshit, that injury that just happened, that's not supposed to happen. So we're going to just send a bunch of fluid and we're going to stabilize that area on purpose because we don't want you to move it right now because the swelling is just a neurological response. 
but don't start rolling that thing out or getting a lacrosse ball and trying to, you know, roll, roll out your calf or roll out all those areas because it's, it's going to be counterproductive. Now down the road, yes, you can start to incorporate um, a little bit of, of, of soft tissue work. I would say use the guidance of a medical professional when you're doing that. Talk to a PT, you know, talk to a really experienced LMT. They'll give you insight on what they, they think that should happen as far as what tool to use what tool to use the dosage and what's going to come after that, but it is not appropriate post-injury. hundred percent, hundred percent. That's, that's uh, good to highlight because, you know, people get excited about a new tool and, and it, it helped with my, uh, my chronically achy knee. So why wouldn't it be good to do for that uh, fresh ankle sprain or that whatever this hurts, that hurts. I do want to key on one thing, kind of a pro tip sort of thing with uh, rolling out the lat that you talked about. Uh, I want to highlight two different things. Number one, when you're rolling the armpit, never below nipple line. You do not continue down the side because at a certain point, your ribs become floating ribs. And if you sprain or snap one of those bad boys off, it will ruin your entire day. So don't do that. So if you're rolling that armpit, never below nipple line. Okay. This is definitely an area. Okay. Three things. This is definitely an area where you want to control the pressure. Yeah. Uh, leave the hips on the ground. This is not about bearing as much pressure as you can. Um, there's lymphatic uh, concerns. There's, uh, there's a lot of different tissue in that area. So gentle is gooder when we're talking about the uh, rolling the armpit and then hit your three angles. So if you're stacked on your side, and, and you're perpendicular to the roller, uh, that's going to be one angle. If you close it down 15, 20 degrees, so you're more on the chest and the side of the ribs, you're going to get some pec and some serratus and some different tissues. If you now open up 10 or 15, 15 or so degrees beyond stacked, uh, now you're going to hit more of the scapular musculature uh, and, and catch a bunch of different areas. Hitting those three angles for five or six rolls in each position, never below nipple line and controlling your pressure. I have seen that make tremendous changes in people's shoulder mobility. Uh, Guys in particular who tend to be a little more muscle bound in the upper body. uh, We tend to like doing lots of uh, bench and push-ups and pull-ups and we get kind of thick through the, through the upper body. Just that little bit of attention there uh, and, and in the armpit uh, can really make a difference in, in opening uh, that area up. Yeah, great, great advice on that floating rib. And, uh, you know, me being a jujitsu guy and, and I've been doing it for six years, um, a lot of newbies, when I, whenever you see a rib injury, it's always on that floating rib because they'll go into side control and they'll get on their side where they're stacked and, you know, their training partner starts to get real heavy and a good, a really good uh, jujitsu fighter can actually time their breathing and, and learn how to, you know, time their exhale. And when they exhale, you compress. I mean, that's some evil, it's some evil stuff. But my point is, is that, um, and at one time I was training with this guy and he was significantly bigger than me. And, um, I was, you know, inside control. I went to set up, um, a choke variation. I was pretty heavy. And all of a sudden I, I kind of felt it and he goes, and it's like, clunk, clunk. And I did, I felt bad and he, he definitely had a little fractured rib. Um, and it was that floating rib and, and, um, but I would say that is probably the most commonly injured rib in general as well, 
because of the fact that it is essentially it's a flowing rib. There's really no, uh, no stability on that position. And, and it's, it's the same reason why we don't wear a weight belt too high. <laughs> we just, we want to make sure that we protect those and, and um, you know, rib injuries are not fun. So let's just avoid uh, hammering those and doing too much. Absolutely. No, I, I think that, uh, you know, this is, this is an area where uh, there's a ton of benefit to be had. Oh, one more thing. Don't roll tendons and don't roll bony areas and probably stay away from your, so uh, the uh, organs, so yes. the, uh, you know, the, the midsection and, and all of your little squishy parts uh, probably don't need to be squished. Uh, so just, just a couple more things came to mind. Do we really have to be saying this. I think we actually have to say this. I think we have to say this. Yeah. Um, I always, uh, I always tell my, my male athletes, Hey, when you're rolling your adductors, just go slow and don't roll things over that don't need to be rolled. Um, well, that's, that's why when we roll quads, we roll one leg at a time. Exactly. So that you can get high up in the hip and not run into any problems and uh, it's way more comfortable. And uh, so, so just to kind of put a bow on it, um, soft, self-applied soft tissue work, ton of benefit to be had. There are some things to be careful of and to be aware of. And if it's not creating a change in session, or at least within a week or two, you need to work with a professional. You, you need a healthcare provider. You need a physical therapist, Cairo, a good massage therapist to help you with that. Um, because it's obviously not responding to the self-applied techniques. So work with somebody. There's just so many people out there that they suffer for months or years because they're just unwilling to go get something checked. They're unwilling to get help. Um, yeah, it's there, there's a meme. It's, it's, it's a billboard that says this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And then somebody has spray painted on there. No, we won't. <laughs> of that one. Yeah. And I mean, that's, but that's a lot of people in general is they're just not going to go get help. Oh, you know, my shoulder hurts. So I quit doing X, Y, and Z, or I just take a bunch of Advil and do what I want anyway. What are you doing? Yeah. Go get it checked. Find, find somebody you trust and, 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 and get some work done and, and get a massage. Like I said, find a good massage therapist, a PT, a Cairo, you know, somebody that can help you with some of these things. You'll save yourself months or years of frustration. And you'll probably in the end of it, probably save yourself money too, because yeah, you can go buy the compression sleeves and the gun and all the different tools and drop a couple grand, but you know, you could find a really good clinician and maybe three to four sessions. And maybe the sessions are a hundred bucks a pop, you, you know, and if you learn how to do, you know, sometimes you need that, that, that clinician to get you over the hump and then you can do a lot of those self techniques, but spend the money on a good one. And if you have a good one, um, stick with them because it can be, uh, such a valuable part of your, of your health and wellness and fitness journey. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, uh, you know, in the end, um, don't, don't be in a nutshell and, uh, you know, uh, don't let your kids watch, uh, Talladega nights and, uh, yeah, soft tissue work is good. And, uh, but, uh, be careful and just, uh, remember it's uh, health and fitness. And I, I, like I said, I'm going to beat that drum. You're going to probably hear me say it on every podcast. And, uh, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm only trying to change society 
and, and culture. So I'm sure it'll happen in the next 10 to 500 years. So exactly. Well, Hey, Brett, always good to chat with you, my friend. Uh, for those of you listening, um, if you like this podcast, do us a favor and share it with your friends. And also if you can, uh, write us a positive review. So, uh, We will talk to you soon. We appreciate it, guys. Take care. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.